Today we continue on in the Gospel of John, the 14th chapter, as I um, consider how our hearts have been troubled this past week. Those of you who have been glued to the TV or the internet know that around the world, uh, hearts were troubled as the news of a miniature submarine called the Titan was lost as it was taking a sightseeing trip to the Titanic at the tune of $250,000 a seat. But at some times our hearts seem to be untouched by such things. Like the little reported migrant ship from Libya to Italy that started sinking off the coast of Greece, that already 80 bodies have been recovered and some 750 were on board, where they paid anywhere from $4,000 to $10,000 to ride for a chance at a better life. And on that ship, I read a CNN report just last night that they were fighting for food on that journey from Libya. Most of them um, couldn't even afford the journey. Our hearts get troubled by politics, by war, by headline news sometimes. Our hearts get troubled by hunger, disease, and death sometimes. Our hearts get troubled by job crises, financial crisis, family crisis. Sometimes. And sometimes we know the cure for troubled hearts, but we try to self-medicate with the ways of the world. I read a quote this week that Satan is a better theologian than any follower of Christ. We drift away from our faith. We seek deeper into sin. We fight for the food that does not satisfy, and we flounder in the waters of despair. So today, let's look at the cure for a troubled heart, part two. Thank you, Pat Price. I saw you over there. Pat, where'd you go? You're still there. In the red shirt. See, I was looking for a blue shirt. Yeah, you're in the red shirt. Um, he did a great job helping us to know the Father last week, and thank you again for filling the pulpit. So if you go back with me, please, to that 14th chapter, I believe that Jesus is continuing on with his discussion on let not your hearts be troubled. In fact, I think he's answering Philip's question at verse 8. Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough. And Pat picked up on how to know the Father. And today, I think he says to us, Here's some more ways to cure a troubled heart. Last week I said, trust Jesus and follow Jesus. Now let's read some more about this cure today as we look at verse 15 through verse 21. And he will actually kind of capstone 15 and 17 together like bookends about love and following his commands. If you love me, Jesus says, you will obey what I command. Obedience 
is a word that most Americans don't even like to hear. We are so independent, so self-governing, we don't want to obey anything but our own desires. But he says, if you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Not just a limited time, forever. The spirit of truth. And he's redefining who the counselor is. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. Gnosis is the Greek word. We get Gnosticism from it. They don't know him. But you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now we'll talk about that. When is he talking about coming to you? Is that second coming? Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me, and because I live, you also will live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in you, that I am in the Father, you are in me, and I am in you. Verse 21, whoever has my commands and obeys them, seems like he's repeating the first verse we had at 15, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this passage that in some ways, in our quick reading, it seems to repeat itself. Could it be that we're not good listeners or not good readers? Because, Lord, we have not been obedient to you so many times. We have set the course of our own lives, and it has caused our hearts to flounder, to be troubled, to sink in sinful waters. Today, O oh Lord, I pray that you would reacquaint us with the comforter, the advocate, the counselor, the one who is called alongside the paraclete. Help us to not only recognize your Holy Spirit, but to seek your Spirit. For through your Spirit, you comfort, correct, you guide, you teach, you inspire, and you invigorate us with your power. Speak to us through these words that your Son spoke for us and the writers of this holy book put down on pen and paper for us as you wanted your holy word. Let us cherish what you're saying to us, Lord. For we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was supposed to say this. I had notes in, in there. I felt like, um, I think that Sunday, May 28th, was the last Sunday of uh, the month of May, was Pentecost Sunday, and Chief came in that being the former Methodist, he's far more in tune with the church calendar than some of the Baptists here. Uh, and having my military background where I was exposed to a lot of denominations, yes, I knew what Pentecost Sunday is. And I think as I was speaking that day, I said, it's 40 days after Easter. No, it's 50, Cliff, because Pent and, you know, Pentagon 5, it's 50 days after Easter that the Holy Spirit comes and that you have that Acts uh, account 
of the Spirit of the Lord coming and infilling the disciples and the followers of Christ. The following week in the Christian calendar is Trinity Sunday. I don't even think I made reference to that. But I say all this to say God's timing is perfect. If we had been following along, we would have read or understood something about Pentecost. We would have understood something about the Trinity. And now, here towards the last Sunday of the month of June, we bring it all together as we hear about the Holy Spirit and we hear about the Father and the Son and how all three form the Godhead in our lives. So, Scottish theologian um, Sinclair Ferguson, I believe he's still alive. I think he's with uh, Legionnaire Ministries. He wrote, When Jesus' disciples were about to have their world collapse on them, our Lord spent so much time in the upper room speaking to them about the mystery of the Trinity. If anything could underline the necessity of the Trinity for practical Christianity, that surely would be it. So today, in God's timing, we introduce the spirit of truth. So... Just like the medication that you take daily. Anybody take medication daily? Uh, you just say it's a vitamin. You take vitamins daily. Somebody takes something every day, right? Same thing over and over. Wouldn't you think it should fix your issue? Well, it's continuing to fix your issue. I think that's what the doctors would say. We find that the cure for a troubled heart seems to be another dose of what I gave you two weeks ago. To trust Jesus. But this time, we add a statement to it. So... Love and obey Jesus? Well, I thought I had trust and obey Jesus. I wonder if I got the right slides in there. That's interesting. Well, love works for me too, but it, I like trust better because I think that's what's in my nose. Yes, it is. Oh, oh well. Oh, well. Hmm. Interesting. Magic fingers got in there between my house and this house. All right. It's interesting that Jesus says, if you love me. <laughs> Wonderful. Mm. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Two more miracles, I can be a saint, right? Yeah, yeah I'm not even close. All right. Um, he starts off verse 15. If you love me. If. If you love me. Well, I think that's an interesting way to start this prescription for the cure for trust, or cure for trust, cure for, for a broken heart or a troubled heart. And that phrase is like an umbrella for the following six verses. If you love me, if you love me, you will obey what I command. Jesus has already demonstrated his love. He's already declared his love. In fact, he's called his disciples to love one another. He, he neither assumes that the disciples love him or does he deny that they don't love him. He just says, if you love me, you will obey. He makes it a caveat, that, or not a caveat, he makes it a completed sentence that if you love, you will obey. Hmm. How have we forgotten that so much? The old hymn is what I wanted us to sing, and I actually, well, I didn't want us to, yeah, man. I think it's 447. I looked it up as we were singing. I like that last one. That worked, that worked so well with Troubled Hearts, and yeah, thank you for that. Steve is uh, great at picking the songs and uh, not even knowing where the message is necessarily going. <laughs> not teasing, not teasing. Trust and obey. Uh, 447, if you have your hymn books with you. 
I grew up singing that song, had no idea of the history of it. I told you before, I have a little book that I kept from seminary that has a history of each uh, hymn that's in a Baptist hymnal. Uh, the man who wrote this one, his last name, without me even looking at it, because I remember strange things in my mind, his name is something like Samus. Sam is my nickname. So he wrote that, I think, in 1887, or, yeah, somewhere in that range. But why he wrote it, it really was, wasn't his. D.L. Moody, the popular you know, preacher of the day in the late 1800s, is leading these big revivals, these big you know, crusades. He's like the Billy Graham of the 1800s, early 1900s. And he uh, had a music man with him, Steve, our music man. Do you know David, our old music man? Not old music. I said that earlier. Our previous music man, Ira Sancti, was the musician that went along with D.L. Moody. And Sancti wrote Samus that they had been at a revival in Boston. And in the middle of the sermon, this young man gets up and says, I don't know a lot, but I will trust and I will obey Jesus. And the music guy wrote that down, sent it to Samus, who was a uh, Presbyterian pastor. He penned the words, and then someone else uh, wrote the hymn, or gave the music to the hymn. Read the first one. Steve, can we do this a cappella? Let's try it a cappella. Yeah, somebody start, because I'm not going to start. You're going to have to start, Steve. Do you know the song? Okay, well, maybe start with the chorus. Stand, obey, oh. I don't want you to hear me. No. You'd think they stole that line from my sermon, but uh, maybe I stole it from them. But often our trust and obedience in this world is minimal, if not non-existent. We have turned from God, we have turned from his word, we have turned from his way, from his standard, and we have decided that we will set the standard for all things. We will be the judge for all things. Last week on Jeopardy, anybody watch Jeopardy still? What time does it come on, Mom? 4.30? 5.30? Depends on, I guess, maybe. There's two times for Jeopardy? 3.30 and 4.30. See, you can just see how hard it is preaching to people. Some think it's 3.30. Some think it's 4.30. Some think it's 5.30. Some don't have clocks. Yeah, you, got it, you can watch it all day long on the Internet. Okay, so uh, this past week, though, I think it was because it made national news. Here's the question. Fill in the blank. is a $200 question. Isn't that the cheapest ones? Is that, I'm so old, maybe $100 Jeopardy. You know, there's double jeopardy and whatever. It's the cheapest question, all right? The, the smallest amount. Here's the question. Fill in the blank. Our Father who art in heaven, blank be thy name. All three contestants missed it. <gasps> We're all in church and we know it only because the guy beside you said it. That's the only reason you know it. Be honest. But it's a great representation of our culture. We have strayed so far away from trusting and obeying the Lord that we can't even remember that his name is to be hallowed. It is to be honored. It will be revered. 
Past generations of Americans viewed God as the basis for truth and morality, but not anymore. A new Barna study shows that most Americans reject any absolute boundaries replacing their morality. With 58% of the adults surveyed believing that instead of moral tr- that instead their moral truth is up to the individual to decide. Barnes goes on to say, belief in an absolute moral truth rooted in God's word is rapidly eroding among American adults. This is regardless if they were churched or unchurched within every political segment and within every age group. Even among those who do identify God as the source of truth, there is a substantial rejection of any absolute standard of morality in American culture. When the morality of a nation falls, so too does its culture. So too does the nation. When we become the standard, when we become the judge, we find ourselves with troubled hearts. And when we try to mend our broken hearts or our troubled hearts by loving anything but Jesus, trusting and obeying anything but him, pain persists and progresses. So, like most people, you read these verses and, okay, Cliff has got, me, got my attention. If you love me, you will obey my or what I have commanded. Well, then, where's my checklist? What am I to obey? What are the commandments that Jesus has given? Hmm. Well, look at this next slide. I think we introduced that about two weeks ago. Great summary statement, you know, he was asked multiple times, what are the things you, you know, what does a man got to do? You know, love God, all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. And then he says, I give you a new command. Love one another. And they'd heard that before. But he says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus reemphasizes this point in verse 21, this latter part. That's, I said, the you know, bookend of this, these six or so verses. That we are to trust and obey God because we love him. All right, look at verses 16 and 17. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. That's our second point this morning, is to recognize the Spirit. Well, why did I say recognize? I think it's because many of us may say we know the Spirit, but we have seldom recognized him past our conversion experiences. We got really excited. And I don't mean that having the Spirit is an emotion always, but there are emotions a part of it. But we recognize the Spirit of the Lord when our hearts are touched, when we're compelled to confess, when we are compelled compelled to stand before others and say, yes, I believe in Jesus. I'll even follow him in a believer's baptism. But beyond that, let's not talk about the Holy Spirit too much. Yeah, that's where the church has some issues. Well, think about recognizing. You ever bump into somebody you haven't seen in several years, and it's amazing how old they get, and you don't. 
But when you see them and you're struggling to see them, you hear their voice and you say, oh yes, that's him, that's her. The voice doesn't change. The Spirit's voice will never change in your life if you will just listen for him. Today we must recognize the Spirit and reconnect with God's presence and power in our lives. In many Christian circles, the Holy Spirit is either neglected, forgotten, or misunderstood. The one who is given to unite the body of Christ is often the center of controversy. Think about it. It's like an extreme pendulum. You, f you forget or fail to say anything about Pentecost. Good golly, this church might get out of control, you know, if they let the Holy Spirit out. Or you go to a hyper end of the spirit life and you say that's all they can think about. And they forget about the rest of the Christian journey. It is a thorn that must be dealt with. But then again, maybe the thorn is what continues to make you aware. I read one person's illustration this week of uh, the Holy Spirit. And he said, it was a preacher, he said, I have a bad hip. He said, and every time I stand on that bad hip, a sharp pain goes. I, I, I don't have bad hips yet or bad knees. I'm sure that my day's coming. He said, so I immediately shift my weight to the other where I find comfort. And the Holy Spirit, he made the connection, is that on both hips, which reminds me I need to get this way instead of staying that way. And there on that hip, I'll find comfort if I'll stay with him. But sometimes I have to step this way, and he's always there to pick me up and move me along. <clears throat> We must deal, we must have a better understanding of the Holy Spirit in this church and in our Baptist life. If you're familiar with A.W. Tozer, um, uh, hang on that for a second, guys. I'll start reading that before I give the intro. Thank you. They're listening, so thank you, gentlemen up there. Um, A.W. Tozer is a uh, fairly prolific writer, preacher, uh, out of the Reformed tradition, he was um, unable to go to any type of formal education, did not attend high school, college, seminary. He has multiple uh, honorary doctorates. He's written on his own, or he wrote on his own. He already passed. I think he died in the early 60s. Uh, he wrote on his own at least 12 books, and of his studies that he taught, there are probably 50 books or more that are published from his teachings great practical way of looking at things. And let me give you, before you get that quote, let me read this one. He says, the idea of the Holy Spirit to the average church member is so vague to be non-existent. And then he goes on to say this about the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. But if the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 90% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. Hmm. If the Holy Spirit is from the Father, summoned by the Son, and if we see those three as a part of of the Trinity or the elements of the Trinity, we have to give 
the Holy Spirit more reference, more respect, and learn more about the Holy Spirit. I use the word paraclete because that's easy. That's the Greek word that most people have memorized. Para is a Greek preposition. Uh, I memorize it to be upon or alongside. So the paraclete is the one who comes alongside us. Uh, NIV says counselor. But the actual word, that's probably not the best definition for it because we really don't have a good one in English. Um, you could say something like a paramedic. You know, that's the person who comes alongside the hurt and wounded and brings healing to them or gets them to the place they need to be. But if the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, is, is God, part of the Trinity, God, fully divine, he doesn't need help to heal, right? Then you could say, well, he's a paralegal because actually that paraclete word is far more in the Greek secular English other than outside of church English. It had to do with lawyers, representation in court, one who would advocate for you. So a paralegal perhaps is somewhat like that. I think it's King James that says comforter, right? But the sad part of comforter is we think of blankets when you say the word comforter, right? Oh, you know, I got this comforter, you know, I never feel comfortable, and it's just that, just something to make me comfortable. But no, uh, let me stay with that, though. A comforter can make you too hot, right? A comforter can be a pain if you've got to keep kicking it off and pulling it back up. So maybe there is something into that. But each of these English words seem to fall short of what all this puts together that we call NIV, whether it's counselor or comforter, helper, supporter, advocate, ally, even friend. One writer I read this week said, never think of camp counselor or marriage counselor, not even a heavy blanket. He's so much more than that. He is the presence of God in you. Carrying the power of the Father and the love of the Son. That's the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells us that part of what the Holy Spirit does as the paraclete is convict people of sin. Hmm. The idea here is that people in our world live in a state of spiritual blindness. Jesus says, the world can't see him, but you can. We might call it denial. Denying about how they stand before God. And our tendency is to minimize our guilt before God and to point out other people who seem worse than we are. So the Holy Spirit, as comforter, paraclete, penetrates our visions, our barriers, our defenses, and silences our excuses to show how we truly stand before a holy God. If you have your Bibles, go with me to 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. I know some of you said, Cliff, you don't have to fill the whole hour. Hey, it's good stuff. Hang with me. 1 Corinthians, 12th chapter. This is that whole session about spiritual gifts. But if you just read, uh, let me read just three through six. Therefore, I tell you, Paul write, Paul's writing about spiritual gifts. No one who is speaking by the Spirit of God. We're not talking about spiritual gifts yet. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. If you're speaking through the Holy Spirit, 
And you say Jesus, you can't say Jesus be cursed, and you can't say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Then he goes on to say there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of workings, but the same God works all of them in men. This verse tells us that the Christian's confession of Jesus Christ is that lordship of him over us. And that his, Christ's activity in us is empowered and witnesses the Holy Spirit living in us. Our sins make us spiritually dead. But Christ's forgiveness and the Spirit's power connects us with that resurrection, with that forgiveness that Christ brings. So the Spirit should be a team unifier, right? Not a divider. But how many of us know churches that have struggled because of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost? And I won't call any denominations. The Baptist church has struggled. Those of you who, I probably have told this before, when I um, signed my name to be a representative of the Southern Baptist Convention in the Air Force as a chaplain, I had to sign that I didn't smoke Use tobacco in any form. In other words, couldn't dip, couldn't chew. Those of you who like to do that. Couldn't drink. Nor could I practice, practice glossolalia. And they put that in there just so I'd have to look it up. You know, that's a fancy word for speaking in tongues. You could not practice it. Didn't say you couldn't do it. You just couldn't encourage it. So in some ways, we back so far away from it that we forget to recognize the Spirit. If I say the name Angelo Dundee, anybody recognize that name? Muhammad Ali, you know that name? I know, I'm so old, yes. Dundee was his manager. He was in the corner. He was the one behind, float like a butterfly, you know, sting like a bee. And, when, and he was uh, behind several very successful boxers. But one of the things I read on a quote from him this week, he says, when you're working with a fighter, you're a surgeon an engineer, and a psychologist. Makes sense. I mean, you know, you're, you're doing all those things. And as followers of Christ, if you recognize the Holy Spirit in your life, you have far more than an engineer, a surger, surgeon, or a psychologist. You have the living God in you. Because that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus tells his followers that he won't leave them. Remember a couple weeks ago, I used that uh, Fred Craddock illustration. When parents leave, the kids ask, where are you going? Can we come too? If not, who will stay with us? And what do we do while you're gone? Well, Jesus answered all those questions. He said, I'm leaving. You can't come right now. I'm going to give you the comforter. I won't leave you as orphans. And while I'm gone, love one another. And then let's see. He says, on that day, you will realize, because I live, you also will live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Now, there are some who would say that's referring to the second coming. Uh, I, I think it's based in the context here. It is Jesus telling his disciples that after his death, at his resurrection, you will see the Father in me, and me in the Father. And then if you believe in me, we will be in you as well, through that spirit. So... How do we do all that? Daily? I mean, 
I thought about it. It's been on my mind so much. Before the service, uh, usually one or two of the deacons or, or someone will come in my office to pray. We take turns praying, and I prayed, closing the prayer in Jesus' name. We're taught to do that, right? But I felt like, here you are, Cliff, preaching on the Holy Spirit. Could you not have prayed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? We baptize that way, and that's about the only time you hear it sometimes. Maybe at communion you might hear that. But we are, as I talked with our uh, membership class this morning, we're non-credal. Baptists aren't credal. They're, they're very much impromptu. But maybe we should recall and recognize the Spirit just a little bit more. That, that God loves us so much that he gave Christ Jesus, who died for us, who came back from the dead and said, until we meet again, I'm not leaving you. The Holy Spirit, God himself, will be in you. And man, if that doesn't bring some comfort to your troubled heart, what will? But still, how do I do that daily? Well, I think by seeking fellowship with him daily. Think about how you can change your prayer life and your thoughts about the Holy Spirit versus just something you might say once in a blue moon. Well, the Spirit of the Lord is in here. Walk in the Spirit. Let the Spirit convict you. Let the Spirit empower you. And I'll give this concluding... Oh, man, I have gone almost 30 minutes. I'm sorry. Um, Bill and Peggy Fields. Brenda, you know, remember that name? Bill Fields, and I thought about this literally... Yeah, she's like this. He was the organist at uh, the base I was stationed at in England. He was older than time. And when I did the math, I think he's about the same age as I am right now. This was... In, I left that base in 1995... And he was in World War II as a young man. So you figure 40 years after the war, he's probably 60 to 65. And the head chaplain had tried to get him to retire multiple times. And he wasn't quite as good on the keys as he once was. But he got a degree while I was there. And I remember, you know, the Brits, they, they do formality so much better than we do. I mean, he had... This robe, his graduation robe, that had tails. He was so he was almost like Liberace when he came up to the organ. He had to take the tails and flip the tails up and sit down to play. But Peggy, who looked just like Queen Elizabeth, and, and of course, I mean, you would want to look like your queen, right? I mean, she she did. And, and we were talking one Sunday, and I said, "How was it when Bill was in the war during World War II?" And she goes, "Well, he wasn't here, obviously. He was." on the, the main continent, and, you know, he'd gone over. I don't know, I've forgotten now exactly what unit he was with and when he went, but she said he was gone for over four years, and, or nearly four years, and she said um, we had one child at the time, and uh, she said we kept a picture of him, of, of Bill, uh, on the mantle. And every night and every morning, I had my son kiss that picture. So he would recognize Bill when he came home. And she said that with, you know, tears dripping her eyes. And I thought, is God's word, is our prayer time, is our faith in him like that picture? That each day when we kiss him, when we recognize him in our lives and see the power of the spirit, how we will be transformed and how our lives living for Christ can be different. Today, 
you can come home to the Spirit, just as Bill Fields came home so many years ago. And the Spirit will recognize you whether you recognize Him, no matter how much you've changed. He wants to encourage. He wants to teach. He wants to guide. He wants to be your comforter. He wants to be in your corner to advocate for you to the Father through the Son. So stand with me, please. We're going to have a time of invitation. And I would invite you to come and recognize the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, as we uh, have just barely talked about the Spirit, your Spirit, and how much you have loved us to leave your deity within us, to not to make us gods, but to challenge us, to inspire us, to love us, to comfort us, to do all these things. And why is it that we want to say we are in control? Help us to recognize the Spirit. Help us to trust and obey your Son. And help us to love one another as Jesus loved us. If there's someone here, Lord, today, I pray that you would touch their heart and let them respond to this invitation moment. Perhaps they have things they need to confess. Perhaps they have something they just want to leave here on these steps. Maybe they just want to come for prayer. If they've never come to know Jesus, let this be the moment in which they say, I will trust and I will obey him. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.